First of all, we are going to make one of our big booklets into a regular book. We're going to make the booklet Judge Righteous Judgment, and here's the cover right here. Judge Righteous Judgment. And that's what Jesus said in John, the seventh chapter, that we are to judge righteous judgment, which means that it has to be according to the laws and principles of God. Okay. Now, another thing about judgment. Mercy comes after judgment. Now, what's wrong with the legal system today with the judges? They're not convicting criminals. They are what? They are giving forgiveness first. Forgiveness cannot come until there is judgment. That's why the Bible tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now then, that being the case, and all have sinned, the judgment for sin is what? The wages of sin is death. And no one has escaped that yet, except Christ who was raised from the dead. That is the judgment. Now, when is mercy given? When you're living in sin? Or when you come to a conviction of sin and repent? Mercy never comes until then. That's why it's judge righteous judgment. Okay. has to be the way that it is. All right? Now then, I don't know how true this is, but they're saying if you're buying a new car now, that your car can spy on you. I don't know how that is, okay? But you put the ignition in there and your car says, hello, are you ready to start? <laughs> I don't know what new cars have because I have two cars. One is 33 years old and one is 31 years old. Okay. And they both run. Okay. Yes. And I have a long commute from home to here, which is less than a mile. <laughs> okay. So I don't know about that. I have to check it out. Now. How bad can things get when Satan has free reign? Okay. Now, we know this. Okay. Sin is what? Transgression of what? The law. Okay. Sin is the transgression of the law. What is transgression? That means going against. You know, just like you come up to some property and it says what? No trespassing. OK. 
Okay. Well, if you come up to God's law and you transgress it, you're trespassing. Okay. Now, how bad will it get in the churches when they are taken over by Satan? And yet they think they're doing the will of God. So let's ask the question, how far will wokeness and gender affirmation go? In other words, what kind of unmitigated gall does Satan have in trying to destroy the Word of God? And in trying to destroy people's knowledge of at least a basic thing of who and what you are. See? That's why this gender affirmation should be called gender destruction. But how does that affect the Bible? What do they want to do with the Bible? All right. I'll read you a couple of things here. Here's one. Now, this was a real nice comparison sent to me uh, by email. Someone did a comparison with, with different Bibles and sent me what it is there in Galatians. So let's go to Galatians 3.27. This will tell you how Satan will twist and distort everything in the Bible. Galatians 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus did put on Christ. And that actually means to clothe yourself with Christ. Everything about Christ. Okay. Now notice what it says. Verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, all Protestants need to read that so that they know that the promises given to Abraham back in Genesis, the 12th and 15th chapter, are the things that carry clear into the New Testament. Now, what are the theologians trying to do, or rather Satan inspiring them to do? Published in 207, the New Christian Bible. Now listen carefully how they changed verse 28. For there is no longer Jew nor Greek, there is no longer slave or free man, there is no longer male or female. They don't want you to use the words 
male or female. Now, what does it say in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, verse 26 through 28? We're made in the likeness of God after his image, male and female. Okay? So here, they're trying to eliminate it from the Bible. Now, this here's another one. The abbreviation is N-A-B-R-E-A, New American something Bible, okay? It says, it's even more radical. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free person, okay? There is not male and female. And now they're having a big thing here in California that all of these demented people who think men think they're women and women think they're men, and they they come in to get an employment and they say, well, I want to be called after my female name even though you think I'm a man. Okay. Well, the answer is this. You bring me a doctor's note that you have had a complete transgender operation that is successful and that your blood test will show that you are XX and no longer XY. Okay? Okay. You can't change genes. Let me read the next one. New NIV. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. There we go. Now, you think that's absurd? Now, I'm going to have to check with some of the brethren over there in the UK, because over in the UK... They're going absolutely bonkers. Here it is. Methodist Church. Okay. Methodist Church calls on ministers to repent of any hurtful language. Now, what do you think the words are? There are two words that are hurtful language. You're going to hurt someone's widow, widow feelings. And they're going to feel real bad. Because you're mean and nasty and you talk to me like that. Hurtful language like husband and wife. How far will wokeness go? Well, let's put it this way. Since Satan is the author of wokeness, it will go to the very depths of Satan. So, let me read a little bit here. Common words such as husband and wife are often offensive and should be avoided according to one church in Britain. The Methodist Church in the United Kingdom has released its own inclusive language guide in which parishioners are urged to avoid certain words 
on the basis that their usage makes assumptions of one's family life. What is one thing Satan wants to destroy? Family. Right? Because when you destroy the family, what happens? You destroy the civilization, right? Okay? Now, one, one thing I learned from watching these geological, archaeological diggings is that every society has sinned and been exterminated. Okay? And it always comes down to sex sins and human sacrifice. Always. And we have that today. Because the human sacrifices are what? Abortion. Right? And they even say in the Church of Satan that it is a ritual. Okay? Now, I want you to think way out. How many have seen about the civilizations in Central America? How they turned out to be so evil, and they ended up offering sacrifices in one way that they were trying to get the rain to come back, that they would have the sacrificial woman walk up those steep steps to the top of their their uh, pyramid up there where they had the sacrifice. And they did it so quickly that the priest could reach in and grab the heart and hold the beating heart up, supposedly as an offering to God. Okay? What happened to those societies? God buried them under jungle. And now they have this way of, of flying over and it goes through all of the jungle and they see they had cities and they had lots of pyramids and things like that. And they don't get the lesson. God destroyed them because of their sins. Okay? Hurtful languages. Okay? As Christians, we need to have the courage for conversations that can sometimes be difficult to recognize that we sometimes exclude people to listen with humility, to repent of any hurtful language or imagery, to take care of how with how we listen and what we say, write, and depict in the spirit of Christ, the language from the church began. That's the spirit of Satan, the devil. So how far will he go? Okay. There's an infinite variety in the way that God's creation is expressed in human life, the guide said. It is worth bearing in mind, this in mind, as we speak and write. Terminology, such as husband and wife, may sound inoffensive, but it makes assumptions about a family or a person's life that is not the reality for many people. Why? Because, why? They're following Satan. It is complete delusional to think that they can change gender. Now then, 
it's amazing how people misconstrue the Bible. And I know Darlene told me she was talking to this one woman, and the subject came up about the Sabbath. And she said, well, Jesus kept the Sabbath for me, so therefore I don't have to keep it. Really? Huh? Okay. That's utterly impossible. Let's come to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Now, we're going to learn something here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Now, we already know it, but we're going to learn it even more. Chapter 3 talks about the rebellion of the children of Israel. Okay. How did they rebel? Right under the nose of God. And why did God not destroy them? Because of Moses' intercession. Remember with the golden calf? God said, let me go down and destroy them all in the same way with Aaron. And Moses said, take my life, if you will, but spare them. And let your presence go with us. And God said, all right, my presence will go with you. But let's see what they did. Let's come, first of all, to Isaiah 43. Okay? So hold your place in Hebrews 4, because we'll come back to it. Let's come to Isaiah 43, you know. And how many people read this and don't even understand what it, it's saying here? Now, this is quite a chapter because Isaiah 43 is talking about God is saving the children of Israel, delivering them out of their, their captivity, okay? Let's begin in verse 21. Isaiah 43 and verse 21. Notice how God brings this up, see? Now, remember this. Everything that God does, it based on the promises to Abraham, okay? And then coming on down to the promises concerning Christ, all right? And that he chose the seed of Israel, because he promised Abraham. Not because they earned it. They didn't earn a, a single thing. See? But because God's word is true. And every word that God says, it's going to happen. Whether for good or whether for evil. And no one can get away from the word of God at any time, anywhere, wherever they are. If you do good, that is, you're not sinning all the commandments that he says, then you'll lead a pretty decent life. That has nothing to do with salvation. Then if you're evil, you're still under the judgment of God because of what? Sin. Okay? Now, notice how God pleads with the people here. Verse 21. 
This people that I form for myself, they shall declare my praise. Huh. Now, you could apply that to the church today. Okay. But to Israel, he says, even though I made you to do this, now verse 22, yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Now, how do you call upon God? You call upon God his way. Okay. Now, just for a minute, let's think about it. What is the great passion of the Jews right now? Right now today? Well, you can go on the Temple Institute and you'll see there the Levitical singers. And they really have a good group of singers and they were singing at the south wall of Fort Antonio, which was the the uh, northern entrance to the temple. And they were all singing that they may dwell in the house of God, that they may come to the house of God, that I may visit the house of God. And you think, oh, and it's really good. I mean, and they're all enthusiastic. But what is it? The temple is their idol. And they don't even know it. So let's read on here. And yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob, much less have you troubled yourself about me, O Israel, to know the whole truth of God. Now notice what he's saying here with it as we go along. You have not brought me the lamb of your burnt offering, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with a grain offering, nor wearied me with your incense. And you brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. But notice this next sentence. All the way through with the children of Israel. Always. And you can see that especially in Protestantism. Okay? And then this nonsense we're doing here right now that I just read you. Okay? But you have made me serve with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Amazing. But what did they miss? See? Think about it. What is the great sin of the children of Israel today? Not talking about abortion. The great sin to God that he has put up with commandments and what commandment in particular? All of them, but in particular the Sabbath. And God has put up with that for how long? And now Satan is coming in and we're being taken down. 
And that's what you see with this kind of language. This is pure Satanism unbridled, if we could put it that way. So you walk up to a person that you don't know and you think in your mind, ah, is this a he or a she? Ooh, I better not use that language, you know. Hello, who are you? What do you want to be called? (laughs) Okay. You made me serve with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Now notice verse 22. And they didn't even know it. Coming to God, taking advantage of the promise given to Abraham, which God said he would fulfill, but he said that they would destroy themselves, so he says here, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Now, that goes clear into the beginning of the church and then goes into the millennium. Okay? Now, let's look at something else. Let's come to the book of Amos chapter 5. Okay? What were they doing out there in the wilderness? Remember when God first sent the manna? And what what did God say? He said, six days you go out and you gather the manna, right? Okay? Amos, the fifth chapter. Okay? And you get what you need. And you better get up early and you better get out there because if the sun gets hot, it's all going to disappear. You won't find any, okay? And you're not to take more than you should because if you do, it's going to breed worms and stink. And on the sixth day, you're to gather twice as much as you did daily. And on the sixth day, it won't breed worms and stink because it's for day six and what day? Day Seven. And don't go out on the seventh day, the Sabbath, looking for your manna, because you won't find it. So what did they do? Some of them went out looking for manna. So what did God say? Remember what God said to Moses? Okay. Said, how long will it take for you to understand my laws and my commandments? Okay. Okay, Amos 5, verse 21. Here's what they did right under the nose of God, right in the wilderness. That's why. God said that that generation that rebelled against him would all die in the, in the wilderness. They all died. Little sidebar. How come we can't find any bones out there in Sinai? They can find bones of other societies, different places. Have you ever wondered that? Okay. Well, one day I was watching a special with Nat Geo, 
and they were talking about these these big black birds, like ravens, only a little bigger. And these birds were bone eaters. Now, what did they do when the bone was too big? I mean, if you're a bird, you know, you don't have a throat this big around. What are you going to do when you have a, you know, a big joint? Okay. They take the bone. They fly up. And they have a big rock pile. They drop them. And they break. And they come down and eat the bones. So I think, so let me ring the bell. Because Kip said I hadn't rung my bell in a long time. (laughs) I think that's the way that God got rid of all the bones of those who died in the wilderness so that people would say they weren't in Sinai centuries and centuries later. Because remember, not one word of God will fail, whether for good or whether for judgment and evil. And that's why in between, we need Christ for repentance. Now let's come back here to Amos 5. Let's come to verse 23. Take the noise of your songs away from me, for I will not hear the melody of your song, or your harps, okay? That struck me last night while I was watching these singers that we were, that we were looking at there, that Heidi and I were watching. And they were really good, and they were really dedicated. I mean, they give themselves to the song. But the question is, have they really given their lives to God? way that they should. You can do a lot of things, but unless you really give yourselves to God. No man can come to God and say, God, accept me because I do this, I do that, I do the other thing. Read the parable of the two men who went up to pray, the Pharisee and the publican. Pharisee said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a thief, I don't do this, I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And then that hated tax collector, standing down there, wouldn't even look up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what it is in the Greek. And he says, that one went down justified rather than the other, see. We all have to come to God his way, okay? So he says, all your music and everything. Now, verse 24, but let judgment roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, okay? Now, what is that likened to? Okay. What flows out from the throne of God? Living waters. So this is likening the Holy Spirit. This is likening to 
keeping the commandments of God with a pure heart, with pure intentions and everything. Okay. Now notice what he says here, verse 25. He says, Have you offered sacrifices and offerings to me forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Now, you can see the picture right up on the wall there. You got the cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. All for 40 years. Have any of us been that close to God? No. We're actually closer because we have God's spirit. Okay. But think of that. Right there. In the presence of God. Remember, he says, you made me serve with your sins. Now, let's read verse 26. But now you have carried the tabernacle of your Molech and of your Cheyun, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Think of that, right out there in the wilderness. Now, let's come back to Hebrews 4 with that background. We're ready for that. Okay. Now, before we get to Hebrews 4, we find in chapter 3 that God said that Israel rebelled against him in the wilderness. We just read it. That was their rebellion. Okay. And the rebellion was they didn't keep the Sabbath. Now, they may not have had any manna out there, and maybe most of them didn't go out and get it, but they didn't keep the Sabbath to honor God. Okay? So he said, verse 15, chapter 3, as it is being said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in a rebellion. See? And that's what it is with people today. Hebrews 3, chapter 15. Uh, 3 and verse 15, rather. Okay? Rebellion. You come up to Sunday Keepers today, and they all know. I've got 30 pages of all the denominations of Protestantism acknowledging that the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, is what? The day of worship. But if you bring it up, what happens? Bang! You come up against a hard-hearted, right? And then they condemn you if you keep the Sabbath, and they say, well, you're Judaizing. Well, God made the Sabbath for man. Little hint on the Sabbath. Just put this in your notes, Leviticus 23, 1 and 2, that these are my appointed feasts. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath is the Sabbath of God. Appointed feast. Where does that go? That goes back to Genesis 1.14, that God set it all in motion, 
for the seasons and appointed times. Okay. Now, what does the phrase, these are my feast, indicate? They belong to God. He owns them. Not only does he own them, he made them. See? And that's what's so important. So in chapter 3, we find that they never did get it. Now, what do we find when we come to the book of Joshua? Well, again, we find a lot of hard-heartedness. Now, they did some of the commandments of God. They got rid of some of the the Canaanites, but not all of them, okay? And then Joshua died, and all the elders that succeeded him die. and what did the children of Israel do? Did they get on their knees and come to God and cry out to God, oh, we're here, and we have lost all this generation of the elders. We need your help. We need your understanding. We want to follow you and keep your laws. No, what did they do? They went after what? Baal, sun worship, and Ashtoreth. Okay? Precisely what we have today. Okay? So they were rebellious. Okay? So they didn't enter in. Now, let's come down to chapter 4. Therefore, we should fear, lest perhaps a promise being opened to enter into his rest any of you might seem to come short. For truly, we've had the gospel preached to us even as they did, but the preaching of the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? It says, if you hear the word of God, you are to do what? Believe God because that's faith, correct? Okay. And if you believe God, you will do it. Because the word belief means that you hear, you understand, and you obey. Same thing with the word hearing. In the Greek, it means you hear to do. For we who have believed... We ourselves are entering into the rest now. Nowhere does it say, Jesus kept the Sabbath for me. And I don't have to. Notice what it says. For we who have believed, we ourselves are entering into the rest as he has said. Now, we're talking about Jesus. Now, here's what the Protestants don't want to accept. Yet it is, it is in the book of Mark, chapter 2 and verse 27, about the Sabbath. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath, which means men do not say, 
what to do and not to do on the Sabbath because it didn't originate with men, it originated with God. Then he said something which is very important, which you don't know unless you have a little Greek. He said, therefore, because it was made for man, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is Lord, kurios, that means Lord, owner, boss, ruler, kurios, of the Sabbath. Now, in the Greek, of the Sabbath is in the genitive case means he owns it. So how can the Protestants reject the Sabbath and claim Christ? Just like we read in Isaiah 43. You made me serve with your sins. And that's the whole crux and the problem of what's happening in the world and especially America today. Those who have the word of God have defiled it. Those who preach the word of God have misquoted it. Those who translate the word of God have mistranslated it deliberately to fulfill their satanic carnal needs. Now, we have one man, okay, Joseph Ackerman. We have a booklet where he takes 27 modern translations of the New Testament and compares that to the faithful version. And you will see, now if you don't have that booklet, you write in for it. You will see that it's just like I read, there is no longer male and female. They change everything they want to change, but all the changes are noted so no one has an excuse that they should keep them. And the thing they miss on the Sabbath is, Mark 2, 27, 28. The Son of Man. Oh, do they believe in Christ? Yeah. Is Lord of the Sabbath day. Okay. Now we'll see a little more here as we come to chapter 4. Let's read on. So he said, Okay. Middle of verse 3, So I swore in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest. Okay. If you would keep the Sabbath, let's just put it that way. Okay. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Huh. Very interesting. What was the first lesson that Adam and Eve learned? in relationship to God and themselves. That he's God, that he made the seventh day holy. He blessed it and sanctified it, and in the Greek, it is called katapazim. God rested from his works. Katapazim. 
That's the same word that we will see here in relationship to the Sabbath. That is not referring to the millennium. Now, in type, it could. But that's not directly what it's referring to, as we will see. All right. Verse 4. For he spoke in a certain place about the first day of the week being the new Sabbath. Huh? No. He says, about the seventh day in this manner. Okay. And God rested. Katapazin. Was that the millennium? No. That's at the foundation before the whole plan of God was ready to go. Okay. Katapazin rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay. So then the challenge goes out. Verse 5. And again, concerning this, if they shall enter into my rest. In other words, he's saying, that's the choice you need to make. If. Now we have that choice. Now I'm going to bring a message here, I think, next week that Compromise has consequences. Okay? You can put it another way. Sin has consequences. And people, when they overtly sin, like they have, and like we're doing now, trying to destroy the family, and they're doing a good job of it, right? Eliminating male and female you can't call a married couple husband and wife. Some cases, it might be two men and two women. I mean, right down the street of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. If they shall enter into my rest, consequently, now verse 6, okay, this is what is important here. Okay. Consequently, since it remains for some to enter into it, those who had previously heard the gospel did not enter in because of disobedience. Again, he marks out a certain day. Okay. that I, the Lord, will keep the Sabbath for you. You are free from any obligation. <laughs> yeah, ring the bell again. Okay. A certain day, today, saying in David, after so long a time, okay, exactly as it has been quoted above, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your heart. Okay? Now, for if Joshua had given them rest, and Joshua never did give them rest, why? I mean, even if you want to apply it to going into the promised land as a parallel to 
the coming of the kingdom of God, why did not Joshua give them rest? Because they wouldn't get rid of all of the Canaanites. God said, destroy. And don't go after their gods. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken long afterwards of another day. There remains therefore. Now this is the correct translation from the Greek. The Greek word there is sabbatismos, which means exactly as it's translated, there remains therefore Sabbath-keeping for the people of God. Now, does it say for the Jews? No. Who are the people of God? Are the Jews only the people of God? Well, they think so, but they reject Christ and they reject everything in the New Testament. Can't refer to them. Okay. Who is God called? Where did we start in Galatians 3.28? There's neither male nor female. Uh, there's neither Jew or Greek. Okay. Right. Okay. People of God. That's everyone who has the Spirit of God. All right. For the one who has entered into his rest, katapazin, what is God's rest? What is God's rest? Well, the Septuagint there in Genesis, the second chapter says, when God rested, that is katapazin. Okay. When did he rest? On Sunday? On Monday? On Tuesday? No, seventh day. Okay. For the one who has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his works. Huh. What does the command say to remember the Sabbath? You shall not do any work. Right? He, he has ceased from his works just as God did from his own work. So, when we keep the Sabbath, whose example are we following? God's. See? And that's what everybody misses because they read the scriptures with their blinders on and their understanding is dark. So they don't know. And so they think that because men wrote this, therefore, we can adjust it to whatever we think is right. And that's exactly what the Catholic Church has done. And what's the latest thing that the Pope has done just this week? It is now church dogma that the priest can bless same-sex marriage. And I don't know if I have the book here. Yeah, I still have it here. Okay. Okay, very interesting. Here it is. In the closet of the Vatican. Because they're all homosexual. 
Does the Pope want everyone to bless the pedophile? And who are the most voracious pedophiles on earth? The priest in the Roman Catholic Church. See? Because they think that they can take all the paganism and sprinkle it with a little water, wave some incense around it, burn some candles before it, and loft it up to God, and it's accepted of God. That's the same as the sin of Moloch that the children of Israel were doing right in the face of God in the wilderness. Quite an amazing thing, okay? Cease from his own work. Now notice how we are to regard this. Verse 11. We should be diligent, therefore, to enter into that rest, which is what? The rest of the katapazin of God. See? It's his rest. Lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. Okay? Then we have verse 12, and we'll end here. For the word of God is living and powerful like every law that functions automatically that God made. You heard me say law of gravity, but there's the law of everything. Everything that God has made. And as far as reproduction of animals, they're after their kind. Reproduction of birds, after their kind. And, it, and I eat two eggs a day, Okay. And every day when I think about those two eggs that come from chickens, okay, and I crack it into the frying pan, okay, that becomes food for me, but God made it. And what a thing it is, the way that God has made all the different forms of life having its reproduction. There is not anything that God has, has made that does not reproduce itself. All grass, all trees, all flowers, all birds, all animals, all creeping things, human beings, and even the earth. How does the earth recreate itself? You ever heard of volcanoes? What happens? New molten rock. Amazing. Okay. And God is reproducing himself through his spirit, through us, that we can enter into the kingdom of God and into his family. See? And that's why the Sabbath is so important. That's why it said we should be diligent to enter into that. But you see how important the Sabbath really is. See? It's not just a thing we do. It's a thing that brings us to Christ through his spirit. And that we learn from the word of God. And God wants us to learn how to what? Become his sons and his daughters. And he wants us to be diligent. And he wants us to be faithful. And just like it says there 
in Malachi, the third chapter, that the people of God talk to each other about it. See? Now, like after Sabbath services, we're going to have conversation. We're going to have things to talk about. And we should talk about what God is doing, how these things are. See? And that's what makes it really good. Now, we have some brethren here that haven't been here. And uh, Heidi, it's her first time here, all the way from Missouri. And so uh, Heidi and her husband, John, before they, before he died here, what, two years ago, two and a half years ago? Yeah. Everything in the Bible, they compiled and put it together, mechanically, all the words, all everything. Every book, every booklet, and she is the longest-term employee for us, at 25 years. Okay? And they were diligent in doing it. And the last project that we finished was the English-Greek interlinear. And that was a seven-year project. And the last couple of years... Heidi was responsible for getting all the updates and all of the quote and all of the changes and get that in, okay? And she just right now, right in the middle of working and getting the Judge Righteous Judgment book done, okay? So we'll just have to add that. So we're thankful that she's able to be here, see? And they have been diligent in working and doing things. And what is all of this teaches, see? What is all of this teaches? That if we come close to God and love God and love one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven us, that God will use us and bless us, see? As weak and as old, and as rejected as the world might think about us, we are the objects of God's love and future plan for the world. 